quack, 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 quack. to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. Our new swan queen, the exquisite Nina Sayers. I'm Lily. You're gonna be amazing. I watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it. Seduces! Attack it! Attack it! Come on! Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl. Feel my touch. Respond to it. Is someone's hot for teacher? I don't want to talk about that. You really need to relax. It's the role, isn't it? It's all this pressure. I knew it'd be too much. I knew it. Ow. What's she doing here? He made me your alternate. The only person standing in your way is you. <laughs> so, Graham, I'll start with you and Corey. Please chime in right after. We've seen Aronofsky tell stories of self-destructive and broken people in virtually all of his films, most recently The Wrestler, where instead of ballet, we go behind the scenes in the world of washed-up wrestlers to see an obsessed man who only finds any solace on his own stage, the wrestling ring. So I ask you, is Aronofsky beginning to sort of typecast himself as a filmmaker, or is his latest tale of obsession another feather in his cap? I think he's, I think it's another feather in his cap, for sure, I don't think he's. I mean, he's not giving himself to be typecast as the 
but I do agree that she doesn't bring as much to the table. She, I, I do understand why they cast her because she does kind of have this aura, I guess, that the Nina character doesn't have. But I'm just too, too reminded of her performance in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and how similar these characters are. And we've talked, you know, we've had Nathan Rabin on the show before, and we've talked about his concept of a manic pixie dream girl. And I think that this character really sort of fits that definition. She's able to affect Nina and help her open up and find what she's been looking for this whole time. And by doing that, the way she does that, all, all she really does is just say, hey, loosen up, be cool. I'm cool, hang with me, you're going to have a good time. And that's about it. But I do think there are a lot of moments where Aronofsky sort of lets the camera sit on Kunis's face, and you do get that menacing look from time to time. And for me, with the sound effects and just with the photography and with Kunis's performance, that was effective. So, big day's getting closer and closer, huh? Well, I can't wait. I think you're going to be amazing. So, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> Is that our day? Well, we're playing a little too rough for you. Come on, Nina, he's brilliant. Sure, but it's not like he's all warm and fuzzy. Well, you don't know it. Uh, something's hot for teacher. Come on, it's okay. I don't blame you. I should go home. Oh, Nina, come on. I'm just playing around. Well, I, I think she functions very well. I think her character basically is there to be a catalyst for uh, Natalie Portman. For Natalie Portman's character to, to do what she ends up doing. Um, but in terms of how it stacks up with the other performances in the movie, like you're talking about, should Mila, should Mila Kunis get an Oscar nomination? That would probably... Um,
Lee Graham. This is a movie that I believe is going to wind up on your top ten of the year. Can you just kind of talk briefly about why that is and why you think this movie in Aronofsky's work here is something that we might continue talking about for the years to come? So many of us have seen the film Toy Story in the theater, and if you've even seen the DVD, you watch the short film that came before it, Day and Night, and there's a scene in that where this radio tower sort of makes an appearance, and you hear what's on the radio, and it's this old, probably 1950s, maybe even much earlier than that, recording where you have this man saying something to the tune of, people are often afraid of what's different, and they're unable to accept it just because it's different. And I think that Black Swan is something that is going to prompt reactions like that, and I think it's unfortunate. And I think that the message of that short film really sort of reflects how people should go about watching Black Swan, because I think that there are probably a fair amount of walkouts, especially in places like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, during some of the sequences in this movie. And even my parents saw some people as they were going to see Black Swan, they saw people, I think, who were at the theater to see something like Narnia. And they said, what are you seeing? My parents said Black Swan, and the reaction they had, I guess they had heard about some content in the movie, they said, why are you going to see that movie? And I think that's hilarious, but I just think people need to go into this with an open mind, because this is something that is different, that Hollywood and that the system is offering us, and I think that that is a unique experience for us this time of year to, to get a movie like this in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or one at all, and I, I'm, I'm incredibly appreciative of it, and I look forward to seeing it again. Right now it is playing at the Cobb Hollywood 16 for now. 
so many people are talking about it. It's something that will be up for multiple Academy Awards. And Corey, you're going to be leaving this right now. I really do appreciate it. Taking some time. Again, this is technically your honeymoon, so we do apologize to Kathleen for dragging you away. Um, cool. But we will have you back in the studio next week, right? Why do you want to dance? Why do you want to live? Well, I don't know exactly why, but uh, I must. That's my answer, too. Welcome back to Aspect Radio. Joining me on the phone lines now is my sister Suzanne Flanagan. It is a family affair today on Aspect Radio, also up in New York City. Suzanne, I think that this actually marks the first time you've been on the radio with me in any capacity. So thank you very much for waking up and spending some of your Saturday with me. Which is what you do now. So, what kind of a thrill is it for you to, to be there at such a high level? 
could look as if they were the masters, their characters actually within the film Black Swan are. I'm curious as to what a lifelong dancer thought about things the film did and didn't get right about ballet specifics. What did you think as you watched this movie? It is a good film. I read an article in The Guardian 
hours in Britain what they thought of the movie. There was one, her name is Tamara or Tamara Rojo. She's a principal dancer in the Royal Ballet. And I just wanted to get your thoughts and some of her comments. I'll read them here. She says, Natalie Portman needs to work on her port of bras. I really have a problem with this film using an actress, not a dancer, to play Nina. The director seems to or director seems to think that in a few months you can learn the profession that it takes years to understand, let alone be good at. And in the film, Nina is supposed to be awesome. This is a very lazy movie featuring every ballet cliche going. If you want to look at the dark side of ballet, do it properly. Don't just give us shots of ballerinas suddenly vomiting. Nina's mother was beyond the cliche of a ballet mom. She was a psychopath. <laughs> what do you think of those comments from a, a ballet dancer? Well, I just I think that was really, really brutal. We have to remember that this is not totally just about ballet. It's also about this sexual, psychological thriller that we have going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, just, I feel like she thought that this movie was just going to be a ballet movie. I don't know. I, I really disagree because Natalie Portman is not a ballerina. We know this going in. We know this. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be Julie Kent, you know, from ABC on the screen. So, I don't know. I just think that's a little bit harsh, personally. I, I think the movie, we need to remember that it's about the thriller. It's about the horror aspect. Did she do what she did or did she did not really happen? Is it all in her head? We don't know. Right. You know, and it's not to spoil I guess dancers would be the harshest critics of this movie. Has there been any chatter in your offices, some of your co-workers who have seen the film? What's their general take on it? Well, we all went to see it with us because we went to the premiere. We had the opportunity to go to the premiere, which was, you know, one of the most fun things I've really have done in New York since I've lived here. <laughs> because all the stores were there, and we, have, we, you know, we got to see the red carpet and got to sit in the theater with everyone. So we got to see, like, the early reactions. We went on a Tuesday and opened on Friday. So uh, our artistic director sat close to us. Her name is Janet Silver. She kind of poo-pooed the movie. She was not having a... She just... She thought it was silly. However, I thought that a lot of the other dancers were into it, and they did think it was... I think a lot of people just thought it was pretty hilarious. All the extreme, you know, moments in the movie being with the lesbian scenes with, you know, Tunis or...
watching Stephen Dorff sitting on the couch. Yeah. Well, how about the art documentary, the, the Exit Through the Gift Shop? That's one that I haven't seen yet, and that was available on Netflix and Instagram. How was that? You've heard of her great interest in the theatre. Well, we have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. We're back on Aspect Radio and rejoined by my brother Graham. Time now for our still new segment in limited release where Graham, who lives in New York City, tells us about a film he's seen that is not as accessible in Alabama. Graham, this week you saw one of our favorite contemporary filmmakers, Sofia Coppola, in her latest film, Somewhere. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, call it down the uh, Angelica uh, Film Center down at Soho Theater, where you go downstairs and you can feel the uh, rumble of the subway as it goes by. I'm sure it's technically underground. So, um, it's fun place to see a movie in New York. But, um, yeah, so Somewhere, uh, 
been vocal on this show in, in the past about you know, your affinity for Sophia Coppola as a filmmaker, as yeah. a screenwriter. I'm curious as to where this movie stands along with Marie Antoinette and Lost in Translation and also The Virgin Suicides. Does this sort of fit right into her catalog or is this something new that we haven't seen yet?
good. Thanks. When did you learn how to ice skate? I've been going for three years. Really? Is that the same SUV? There's kind of a lot of those in L.A. Yeah, but I think that's the same one. I've seen it. What are you doing? I'm taking down the plates. Nice. Good thinking. Let's go shake their hands. Right, Welcome back. 
back to your aspect radio. I'm still joined by my brother Graham. Time now to take a look at new DVDs this week. The controversial documentary Catfish, a film that we liked here on the show, is now available. Robert Rodriguez's action comedy and the extension of his grindhouse trailer experiment, Machete, starring Danny Trejo, is also out. How with James Franco as Allen Ginsberg is also out. Coming up next week or this Tuesday, Piranha 3D, finally, a film I regrettably missed in theaters, so I'm looking forward to that. But the most notable release on the Blu-ray and DVD schedule this week is David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin's critically acclaimed, including on this show, Best Picture Frontrunner, The Social Network. Now, Graham, you initially liked this film, but were reticent to crown it the best film of 2010, like so many others already have. At one point, you even went as far as to say it was overrated and might steal what will rightfully belong to Christopher Nolan's film, Inception, and you had the chance to take an early look at the Blu-ray disc this weekend. You mentioned to me last night that you had a bit of an about-face on the film. Tell me what you meant when you said that. Yet these members won't let him any further. And I 
think that you could make the argument that that is the moment where he decided, you know what, these guys, they're not going to let me in. I'm going to exact some sort of revenge here, and I don't have any problem stealing their idea if they think that they're that much better than me, quote-unquote, where they're willing to just use me and write code for them, uh, but I'm not good enough to be a part of their little club.
show there is plenty to look forward to in that series. In the next few weeks, we'll be rejoined by some of our favorite past guests, including Chicago Tribune film critic Michael Phillips, film spotting co-host Adam Kippenar, and religion author and columnist Kathleen Falsani. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on our schedule, as we are incredibly excited to have them back, for sure. And you can email any of your feedback to 9.7movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Aspect Radio or Twitter.com slash Aspect Radio. You can download this and other episodes of the show at our blog, aspectradio.tumblr.com. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can now find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Aspect Radio. So head over and become a fan by clicking the like button. Catch us on AL.com, the station number one news and information service. Just scroll down the homepage to the entertainment section or search Aspect Radio. And don't forget to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com. I especially want to mention Matt and his wife Francesca's podcast, Cinematrimony, where they see a movie at the theater or on DVD together and usually immediately record their thoughts afterward. The last episode was on the King's Speech, which is playing now at the Carmike Summit. 16 in Birmingham. They've also reviewed Winner's Bone, Black Swan, Catfish, and the new Harry Potter film, so please check out that great podcast on filmnerds.com. Many thanks to WVUA station manager Claire Brucker, program director Chris Dobson, production director Cliff Kyle, and our friend Brandon Andrews for their support and contributions to the show. Thank you to our guests, Suzanne Flanagan and Graham Flanagan. We appreciate it. Corey Kraft, of course, the co-host. He couldn't be here. He's on his own evening. Congratulations to him. Graham, thank you. People can follow you on Twitter at twitter.com slash gfmmi. Anywhere else? Uh, no, that's, that's it. That's the one. Okay, well, be sure to check that out, people. Until next week, I am Ben Flanagan. This is Aspect Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. So many social engagements. So little time. 9.7.